you get a real good defensive unit, too, when you put Bo with J.G. Pajot. Perhaps giving Sorokin uh, a little more playing time. Take away his stick and, and the puck, and you can just watch this guy skate all over the ice. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Episode 71, the back on track episode, but for how long? Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday and also via Newsday Islanders text, your direct connection to one-on-one communication with me and other Newsday staffers covering the team. Just text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766, or you can go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And on this episode, I'll talk to former Islanders as well as Sabres, Flyers, and Rangers goalie Marty Biron, now a Sabres broadcaster, and uh, we'll also get to your questions on Andrew's answers. Uh, I mentioned it's the Back on Track episode, and the Islanders enter a two-game series in Pittsburgh on a 5-0-3 streak, and that's with three straight wins, uh, two of them coming over the Sabres on Monday and Tuesday night, and the Sabres, of course, coming off basically a two-week COVID layoff. Uh, But you don't throw points away, and the Islanders played well defensively in both games. They got very good goaltending efforts by both Semyon Varlamov and then Ilya Sorokin. And again, we'll delve more into that goaltending performance uh, with Marty Biron coming up there. Uh, Gigi Pajot has scored goals in uh, in four straight games. And, and, and he could become the first Islander to ever have first-period goals in five straight games uh, when he faces the Penguins on Thursday night. It, it just deepens the lineup so much when, when Peugeot's third line is contributing as it has been. Uh, you know, and, and that's whether Leo Komarov and Oliver Wallstrom uh, were on Peugeot's lines as they were uh, wings as they were for the the five games preceding Tuesday night's game, and then Anthony Beauvillier comes off injured reserve after he uh, missed nine games with a lower body injury. He goes on Peugeot's left wing to start the game, though Barry Trott certainly didn't wait long to start mixing up his line combinations. Personally, I'd like to see Bo get a real shot there with Peugeot and Wallstrom. Uh, I really think it could be a, a, a good combo, but that's sort of dependent on, on how long Barry Trotz will stick with Michael Dalcall, really, on Brock Nelson's left wing. And, and Dalcall has not done anything to be taken off that line. Um, if there is some slippage there or, you know, maybe Trotz, for other reasons, will, will be tempted to reunite Bo with Brock Nelson. But uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how those lines shake out. Uh, going up against the Penguins. I, I just think you, you get a real good defensive unit, too, when you put Bo with J.G. Pajot. Both are very speedy, but both very diligent two-way players. And then you add uh, Wallstrom's ability to get off that wrist shot 
on the right wing and and again that's a, it's an intriguing combination with the speed and the and the defense um and, and Brock Nelson's lined you know then with Jordan Eberly and Michael Dalcall that that doesn't really suffer defensively much either uh without Bo there so uh again I I've been a proponent for a while of uh seeing how uh, Beauvillier works with Pajot. I, I like the fact that that's how Barry started Tuesday's game. Like to see him continue it a little bit. Not so sure it will happen, uh, you know, long term. But Barry asked about it after Tuesday's game, did say he liked the combination and uh, seemed to indicate he would be willing to move forward with it, at least for the. Uh, Short term, uh, Ilya Sorokin's 20-save shutout over the Sabres may also force Trotz, uh, you know, into another decision, and and that would be perhaps giving Sorokin uh, a little more playing time. Um, That's something that's been scarce with Varlamov playing so well. That was only Ilya Sorokin's fourth NHL start. Uh, it was the Islanders' 15th game. And, and the Islanders, for the first time in team history, have four shutouts through their first 15 games. And that's pretty good. Three of them obviously coming by uh, Varley and then uh, Sorokin with his first NHL victory uh, does come with that 20-save shutout. Uh, again, we'll, we'll, we'll delve uh, deeper into that shortly with Marty be Ron and also touch upon it in Andrew's answers. And uh, the Islanders and Penguins are playing six times this month. And Thursdays and Saturday represents games three and four after the Islanders won 4-3 at the Coliseum on February 6th and then lost a uh, 4-3 shootout five nights later. Um, I said, as I mentioned, this was the back on track episode, but for how long? Because two games in Pittsburgh could derail the momentum. Uh, the Penguins, again, are not, you know, they're, they're back-to-back Stanley Cup winners. Um, but Sidney Crosby, as he did at the Coliseum, uh, can still take over a game. Uh, what I saw on Tuesday was the, the Islanders sometimes chasing the puck and, and losing puck battles to the Sabres before getting back to their game in the third period. And, and you hope that doesn't carry over to Thursday night. Again, very low practice time this season. The, the Islanders played Monday and Tuesday in Buffalo, and that was three games in four days, including a 4-2 win over the Bruins at the Coliseum on Saturday. Uh, Thursday night is also uh, going to be three games in four days, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And and if I'm doing my math right, which is never uh, a guarantee, but if, if I'm doing my math right, that's four games in six days. No practice on Sunday. Morning skates are very rare. So if deficiencies start creeping into a team's game, and again, you know, I didn't think the second period on Tuesday was the Islanders' best. Um, it's not that easy to work out the kinks without that practice time. And we saw, you know, speaking of working out the kinks, the, uh, the Sabres coming off that COVID layoff, the first two games out of the six that the Sabres had postponed were games at the Coliseum on February 2nd and February 4th. And Barry Trotz wisely used that time to really emphasize special teams work, uh, the power play. Uh, in practices that week, the uh, you know the unexpected practice time, and 
the Islanders go four for six on the power play over a, uh, a five-game stretch before Tuesday. So practice, practice is good in the NHL, even though it is not very common, uh, especially in a condensed 56-game season here. But on the plus side, and, and this is why the team has been winning, it, it's been balanced across four lines. Casey Sezikis's fourth line has been good. It's been productive. It took a slight step back on Tuesday. Didn't get as much ice time, but much better overall than and then that identity line was early this season. Matt Barzell is scoring points, being very productive, skating. You know, it's just fun to watch him skate. You know, take away his stick and and the puck, and you can just watch this guy skate all over the ice. Uh, he's that good a skater. He had a career high nine game point streak that was snapped on Tuesday, but he's not taking penalties like he was earlier in the season. Uh, the Islanders' defense is pitching in uh, in the offensive zone. Nick Letty had his seventh assist on Tuesday. Noah Dobson and Ryan Pulak both get their sixth assist. So uh, there's just no time to rest this season. So everything, the uh, the eight-game point streak, the 0-3-2 road trip that preceded this kind of uh, turnaround actually overlapped it with the uh, two overtime losses in Philly to end that five-game road trip being a part of the 5-0-3 streak here. It, it, it can all turn on a dime uh, very quickly in this season for good or for bad. So that's why I say, you know, they're back on track, but they can't deviate from their team structure, and we've talked about this over and over again, what gets them success. They've, they've, they've reached that point right now. They've got to work hard to, to continue it. Um, I, I'll be back with Marty Biron right after this. Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash Isles Text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash Isles Text. I'm thrilled to be joined uh, by uh, former Islanders goalie, former Sabres goalie, uh, international media darling right here <laughs> my, my friend marty Biron. marty great to talk to you hope all's well with the family thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us andrew it's great to be on with you um i always keep up with what you do on social media and all of that love it and uh, yeah we had a few great conversation in our days right we sat after practice and talked yeah. about the game that that's what led me to want to be a, a a media personality all you guys that uh, had great conversations with it, it led me to down this path well uh, yeah i mean jim cerny certainly uh, sent you down that path with uh b-ron's corner and uh, yeah. getting jacob involved those uh, those were some fun times and, and you're such a natural at it so oh well, thanks i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, obviously you're, you're around the Sabres a lot the, the, right now, but, uh, you know, two games up in Buffalo, uh, the Sabres kind of get, you know, shut down by Semyon Varlamov one night and then Ilya Sorokin the next night. And I was just wondering as a goalie, you know, how formidable, you know, what you saw out of those two goalies was and, you know, what impressed you really about the two? 
I, I think it's hard to judge both goalies by the work they got in Buffalo. And I don't want to disrespect the Buffalo Sabres. They had two <laughs> weeks off because of COVID protocol. And uh, they end up having to play probably the toughest systematic team that you have in the National Hockey League, the New York Islanders. So it's hard to judge the goalies. But I'll go back from like the season. I mean, Varlamov had a fantastic start of the year with back-to-back shutouts. And, and he's looked good. Listen, I... I said in a bubble last summer that the Islanders' best chance to go far in the playoffs was by playing Varlamov. I thought he was superior to Thomas Grice, uh, and they made the right decision to stick with Varley this year while bringing up the the, the inexperienced uh, Sorokin. You know, I I don't want to call him a young kid. He is still young, but he's he has plenty of. KHL experience, but not in the National Hockey League. So I thought that was the right decision. So Varley's been really, really good this year. I like the way he plays the game. He simplified his game a lot from his days with the Washington Capitals and the Colorado Avalanche. Um, He's not as scrambly as he used to be, which helps a ton. Uh, because he's such an athletic and such a natural in that. He moves really well. But Sorokin is very similar to Varlamov in the fact that Everybody talks about how Sorokin's a great athlete and he's very athletic. But what I'm seeing is a guy that that's a lot more uh, under control that I would have expected. And, and the game against the Sabres on Tuesday night, again, there wasn't a lot of great scoring chances. And, and, and the Islanders kept everything to the outside. So for a goalie, it's a lot easier to read. Uh, but he made that one save on Sam Reinhardt on a pass across where he went from his left post to the right. And the read on the play was fantastic. He was already moving across, anticipating that pass before the puck was even there. And the push was great. So combining maybe uh, um, the, the the read, the, the, the before the pass read, plus his athleticism and his quickness really was great on that. So I think he's going to be really good. Um, but is he going to play enough this year to get himself into a rhythm? Because Var- Varlamov's playing so well. So why would you, you know, limit Varlamov's play unless the schedule demands it? And back to back Monday, Tuesday, obviously you may want to go to both goalies, but I, I thought they both uh, played well. Um, even if the structure of the Islanders is a very defensive one, you need a goalie to make the save and they both made the saves when it counted. Just sticking with Ilya for a moment, I know you have a a background with Mitch Korn. How much of Mitch's work do you see already in in Ilya's game? Well, it's funny because when I worked with Mitch, uh, we're looking back to the mid-late 90s, right? Like I got drafted in 95, so I came up to Buffalo in 95-96 for camp and for a few games in the season. And we're, we're working on totally different things. Mitch was all about agility, quick feet uh get down on your knees get back up like your movement and and a little bit like Dominic Ashik was playing um and then Mitch went to Nashville and you look at the goalies he worked with at the time the Mike Dunham and the Thomas Vokun and it was still the same you know uh, quickness and old school approach to it and then he changed and evolved and uh, you know you saw goalies like Pekka Rene really having a lot of success and uh, and moving over to Washington with Holby and really pull the reins back a little bit and, and make sure that the goalies were within their structure. A little bit like the Islanders play their game within, their, within the structure and the system. I think that's the same thing when you look at the goaltending uh, that Mitch is trying to do. So I think there's a huge influence uh, from Mitch to goalies like Varlamov and Sorokin, especially as a youngster, you want to take it all in. And usually, you know, at 
at that early age or that inexperience, you just let them go. You say, okay, show me what you got. I'll let you go. But I think the better approach is to give them parameters to work inside of. You don't want them to start chasing the game like Jonathan Quick and Marc-Andre Fleury. That's not what they're about. Even though they're maybe very athletic, very acrobatic, you have to pull him back a little bit. And you're seeing that out of Sorokin. He doesn't get or he didn't get lost in his net. Uh, very much against Buffalo, not that he needed to, but he was very much under control. And I think that is uh, uh, very typical of what Mitch and what a lot of uh, the best goalie coaches around the business are doing now. It's a little bit more inside the crease and, and play within your limits. He had that one save. I think it was in the first period on Tage Thompson. Uh, Thompson had a backhander. The backhand, yep. Yeah, really low in the slot. And it, it looked like Ilya was on top of the blue paint he had come out a little bit on that one again that's a good read because there's no other threat like there's no backdoor threat there's nobody driving the net you know tage thompson gets the puck from the uh, the left circle of sorokin and cuts to the middle as a right-handed shot to his backhand sorokin did not go skating out at tage thompson and a lot of goalies and I look at aggressive goalies in my times, but even guys like Jonathan Quick or Flurry, as I mentioned, they may have taken a push and skated out at the shooter to really be aggressive. Now, Sorokin took a step forward, but when the shot was taken, he was stopped, he was in position, and the puck hit him right in the chest. That, that as a goalie, is always, always going to be what you want, 100%. The puck that hits you right in the logo because you're square, your depth, is exactly where you need it to be. Some goalies like to play a little deeper, some a little further out, but still, when your depth is good, your positioning is good, your squareness is good, usually the puck's going to hit you in the chest, which is exactly what happened on that shot. It, it was a really good backhand by Tage Thompson, but he had nowhere to shoot it. He basically saw the chest of the goalie and put it right in it. How, how difficult really is that for a goalie? And, and I think, you know, the one thing I've noticed both out of Varley and last night with Ilya, and, and a lot of it is also the, the good structure the Islanders have, you know, shots coming from the outside and stuff, but both goalies have been positionally strong and they're absorbing the puck. And, and, and there are very few rebound chances that the Islanders give up. And, and you know, Varley particularly makes it look very simple you know yeah but, but i and know it's not it's not and and uh, you're right part of it is the system like how many shots did the islanders block in front of varlamov and sorokin in the last two games against the buffalo sabers uh so i i go back to my time with the rangers and john tortorella's structure defensively is very similar to barry trotz's structure everybody's five man protect the middle give the outside let them skate around the outside as much as you want but don't give them the middle and for a goalie it's a lot easier it was probably the easiest three and a half years i've had in the national hockey league playing with tortorella's system because i could read and see what was happening in front of me now it doesn't help to get on a transition game and and get the 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 fast break out of the zone because everybody's mainly stationary in the zone, uh, but defensively it's great. So, uh, you know, you look at, at Varlamov and Sorokin and making the good read, you know, n uh, being able to focus on the shooter, knowing that the back door most likely will be taken care of. There's not going to be a passing lane there. So you're not cheating. You don't turn your body sideways, anticipating where it's going to go. And then all of a sudden you get a shot and you're not ready and you bobble the rebound and the rebound's not where you want it to be. 
Uh, you've got guys from the uh, other team, you know, getting to those second and third opportunities. No, they're square to the shooter. They know they can focus on the shooter. Now, if there's a read to be made, it's a lot easier because you know where everybody is on the ice. So that's the key. Like I, I remember I, I didn't give up a ton of bad rebounds or I, it was a lot easier to control that part of the game because of the way the guys were playing in front of me when I was the Rangers. It's the same thing with the Islanders right now. Barley is uh, 32 years old. And, and like you said, you've seen, you know, vast improvements in, in his game, you know, going from the caps and, and, and the eight seasons in, in Colorado. Is, is that a, a trend for goalies in the NHL now, you know, like 32 does not seem old at, at all for an NHL goalie anymore. Yeah, it went really weird where in the late 90s, early 2000, you had guys like Hasek and Curtis Joseph and Eddie Belfour and Patrick Waugh. Those guys were 38, 39, 40 years old, and they could still play. Marty Brodeur, same thing. Yeah. Those guys were, were older. Everybody was looking at those guys and say, I'll be playing until I'm 40. And then by the time you get to 34, 35, like I can't play anymore. Like how did these guys do it? Right. But the one thing they did, even looking at Eddie Belfort and Patrick Waugh is they simplified their game. You remember Eddie Belfort in Chicago, very wide base, very athletic, acrobatic. And then all of a sudden he became this structured technical goaltender because as you get older, that has to happen. Now, Mike Sullivan, the coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, used to always say to us, I wish players were coaches first, and then they became players because they would know all the things that come in effect in a game. They would understand all the systems and be able to play all the systems. For me, it's the same thing. I wish all goalies could start older, that they would have to simplify their game, and then when they're 24, they would have the energy and the, the, the strength and the agility to be able to play with a, a youthful um, kind of body, but have that older mentality that you can simplify. So the, the ones that are able to do it early are usually the ones that have success early. But you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, he had to simplify his game when he, you know, his last couple of years in Pittsburgh and then going to, um, to Vegas. Uh, there's a lot of older goalies or 30 to 34 year old goalies that have simplified their game for the better. And Varlamov is definitely one of them. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, you know, you have a background with Mitch Korn, uh, the Islanders yeah. director of goaltending. And, and that's a lot of uh, what, what Mitch preaches. Um, just tell me about, you know, working with him and, and, you know, how he helped you basically have the NHL career you did have. Well, I, you know, I was lucky in my, in my career, I've worked with some of the best goalie coaches and, and the Allaire brothers, Francois and Benoit I had Francois growing up, going to hockey school and he worked for my agent. And then obviously Benny with the Rangers, but Mitch was the guy that really not a lot of people knew. Like the, he was known here in Buffalo because he was the goalie coach for the Sabres when Hasek was here and he had a, a goalie school here in, in Buffalo uh, and also in Ohio because he, uh, uh, he worked for Miami, Ohio and the arena over there. Um, but I think once he went to Nashville and he started developing other goalies, he wasn't just Mitch Korn, Dominic Hasek. They go together. Well, that's it. Like he started to really branch out and have his brand. Um, but the work that we did together, and, and I love Mitch because it's not just physical. It's a lot mental. It's a lot about the, uh, the, the psychology of the game and how you prepare. So 
I, my first year with the Rochester Americans in 97, 98, I'm not doing well. It's like my, my junior career started on fire and then it dropped every year. I was getting worse and worse and worse. My first year pro, it's not going well. I got a call from our coach at the time and he says, you got to go to South Carolina. You haven't played in a month. You're being demoted to the East Coast League. And at the time, the East Coast League was, was not a good league because you had the AHL and you had the IHL as well. So the East Coast League was like fourth and fifth down the, the, the list, right? It wasn't good. So Mitch and I went down to South Carolina and I was playing for the Stingrays. And we worked on not just the stuff on the ice, but we worked at approaching the game, the mental approach to the game. I was so tense, so tight. Like every game felt like it was life or death. And he's like, just chill, relax. Like there was so much that he taught me at that moment. He goes, you're in South Carolina. You're, this is February. It's beautiful. <laughs> go play tennis, go for a walk, go rollerblade, do something so your mind's off of it. But when you come to practice, and you come to, to, to the game, you're 100% into the game. But as soon as you leave the rink, like, take a breather, right? And, and, and it really changed my focus. And then fortunately for me, uh, Mike Bills, who is now the goalie coach for the Sabres, was my goalie partner in Rochester, blew up his knee in a game in Hershey. So on Saturday night, I got a call. I had to be in Rochester. I took three planes. I basically went from Charleston, South Carolina, to Charlotte, Charlotte, to Philly, Philly, Rochester. I got there an hour before the game. I ate Subway in a cab on the way to the game. And then when I got there, I played probably the best game I had ever played, you know, that year. And, uh, and Mitch recognized that, that I made not only a physical change, but a mental change. And he took the newspaper clip the next day and gave it to me and said, this is the time where you're going back up. It's starting to go back up right there. And I think that's what he sees. He, he doesn't just see the, 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 technical and tactical elements of it he sees the mental element of it and that is a huge part of playing goal especially some teams are bad you have to make 45 save, saves a night some teams are good you have to make 20 saves a night well they're different you have to handle them differently and Mitch is really good at that and you still have that newspaper clipping you were saying right it's in my parents basement in my bedroom it's still on the wall you know we got it framed and I remember we played against Kentucky in Rochester, it was like a six o'clock Sunday, you know, early evening start. We won two to one. Um, the goalie for the Kentucky Toro Blades at the time, his name was John Nabokov. It's Evgeny Nabokov, but in, in the American League, they used to call him John. I don't know when it went from John to Evgeny. Uh, you guys know him well in, in Long Island. But uh, so Evgeny Nabokov was the goalie for Kentucky that I beat 2-1. And I have that clipping in my room and the picture and all of that. And uh, it was, it was the moment that really changed my career. Without that moment, I'd probably never make it to the NHL. Well, you, you had a, a really good long NHL career and that included one season on Long Island in, in 09-10 with the Islanders. And, and remarkably, there, there are still two Islanders, you know, ex-teammates of yours still on the team in, in Josh yep. Bailey and, and, and Matt Martin. And uh Kyle Ogposo was on that team as well, if, if I remember. It was right? John Tavares' first year. Matt Molson was on the team. Kyle Ogposo, uh, Josh Bailey. We had Dougie Waite and John Sim and Mark Strait. And listen, we were terrible. Scott Gordon was coaching. We were awful, awful, awful. But some of the, the, the best times I've had 
with my teammates were on that team. Bruno Gervais, I still talk to Bruno all the time. He's fantastic. Love his work in Montreal with RDS. Uh, but yeah, we were terrible. And it was a weird year. So I had two years in Philly, went to the conference finals my first year in Philly, lost to Pittsburgh the second year in the first round. Pitt ended up winning the cup that year. And I really thought I was going to stay in Philadelphia for a long time. It, I thought I played that well. Well, Paul Holmgren, the GM of the Flyers, had other plans in mind. He wanted to get a cheap goalie so he could go and sign Chris Bronger or acquire Chris Bronger. And then this cap was going to be the way he wanted it. Um, so he ended up signing Ray Emery to a one-year deal, right? I think it was a $1 million one-year deal. Yeah. And uh, for me, that meant I didn't have a spot with the Flyers. So July 1st comes, I'm a free agent and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get a million calls now. Like I'm the hot guy at free agent list and phone didn't really ring. And then the next day it doesn't ring. And I went 21 days. Oh. It wasn't until July 21st. So three weeks before I signed and the Islanders and Gart Snow kind of gave me an opportunity. They said, look, we signed Dwayne Rolison to be our starting goalie. Rick DiPietro is still injured. People the media we're not going to tell everybody but he's not going to be ready for the start of the season people think he will be but he's not so we want you to come in play well for the first couple of months and then when DiPietro comes back if he's fully healthy we'll look to trade you well Ricky came back that year but he was never fully healthy uh, my performance really was not up to par nobody would have wanted me that year I think I started the season one nine and one or something and my save percentage was like in the 870. It wasn't good. Um, so it was a weird year on the ice. We weren't good. A lot of uh, learning, but man, it was, it was a fun year. The, some of the guys, Brendan Witt, I remember I uh, was there. Uh, Andy Sutton ended up getting traded that year. Uh, Franz Nielsen. I, we had a great group of players and it was fun, but we were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know Matty Martin only got five games that season, but yep. uh, Josh Bailey was there the full season. He had uh, 16 goals, 19 assists, second year in the NHL. How? Yeah, how I went down to Bridgeport, actually. That's when I I, uh, I really – I played a couple of games in Bridgeport, and Matt Martin was there. Um, uh, Cap was the coach in Bridgeport. And uh, so there were some youngsters in Bridgeport getting ready to come up, right? So I got to meet a lot of those guys, and – and it's fun to see those guys are still playing. It's fun to see Matt Molson is still playing. Listen, he's yeah. with Hershey Bears, the captain of the team. I mean, good. I love it. I love guys that stick around and just for the love of the game. I, I just want to wrap up with, you've seen the Islanders a little bit. You know, we, we, we've heard what you thought about their defensive structure. Is, is this something, you know, they, they go to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, in the bubble. Yeah. What, how good do you think they can be this season, you know, if they do get back into the playoffs? So I thought this year was going to be tough for the Islanders because I thought playing eight games against every team, teams are going to figure them out. Teams are going to know what their system is and how to break it down. So I had Washington and Boston and Philly at the top, Pittsburgh and Fort Place. And then unfortunately I had the Islanders, the Rangers, the Devils and the Sabres in the bottom four, not in that order, but but now what I'm seeing is that, you know, they've got like Barzell who's flying. They got Bailey's a great playmaker. You got Anders Lee and Brock Nelson that are playing really well. They needed to get the third line, which is what the Islanders need. They need to roll four lines. And the third line was the issue at the start of the season. I think now Pajot got himself going. Beauvilliers back. 
that's going to help. And what I saw with my own eyes on Monday and Tuesday night, I'm like, I think I'm moving the Islanders up and I'm taking Pittsburgh out. And that's what I've got right now is, you know, you always have to adjust and evaluate as the season goes, but I've got the Islanders up there and the way they played defensively. I'm like, they could still go to the uh, conference finals because they could be the best team as a team in the uh, East division. I mean, Washington's good and the Flyers can be good, but the best team could be the Islanders if they play the way I saw them play on Monday and Tuesday night. Yeah. You know, I, uh, you have the same four I have because uh, I was on Kevin Allen's podcast because everyone has a podcast these days. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin asked me for my four playoff teams and, and I went flyers caps uh, Bruins and, and the Islanders. And uh, no, I didn't think Boston was going to be that good. They surprised me, especially no, no Pasternak at the start of the season, no Krug, no Chara. But Boston is is Boston. They're they're gonna fight till uh, you know till the end of times. They they always find a way. But yeah, I think right now I'm the, my miss was the Islanders, and now that I've seen them, I'm like, oh, they're a good team. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Listen, Marty, always a, a pleasure catching up with you. I, you know, I've always enjoyed our chats, whether it was in the Rangers room or uh, up in the stands in Buffalo, wherever we get a chance at the NHL draft, always great catching up with you and uh, best to you and your family. Well, I appreciate it. You stay safe, everyone stay safe and healthy. And uh, you know, yeah, some hockey almost every night now because of a two week pause for the Sabres. So hopefully you guys don't deal with this in Long Island. It was not a fun two weeks, you know, to sit at home and, and wait for uh, for updates from the NHL. So good luck with everything. And I'll come back on whenever you want me. That sounds great. And hopefully your voice holds out with all these games and all the stuff you're doing. So. I just do intermission and pregame. I, I, you know, and I let Brian Duff talk a lot. So I'm all set. <laughs> and thanks again to Marty Biron. Uh, always just, I know it's an Islanders podcast. You don't want to hear about the Rangers, but when I was covering the Rangers, I spent a lot of time at, at Marty's dressing room stall, uh, sometimes on the record, sometimes off the record. And he can talk about anything. Um, very funny guy, great sense of humor, uh, loves the sport of hockey. Just, uh, it, it's a pleasure catching up with Marty. So again, thanks to him for that. Uh, thank you Thanks to all of you for submitting questions as we get now to Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. The first question comes via Newsday Islanders text from Chris Nietzsche. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, and he just says, call him Nietzsche, but... uh, Nietzsche says, does Sorokin's performance last night make it easier for Barry to give him more starts going forward? As as I texted texted Nietzsche back, it's complicated. Um, There there are no simple answers in a 56-game season. You know, over 82 games, I would say absolutely, yeah. The way Ilya played on Tuesday night, you would think about getting him back in the... uh, in the net on Thursday night, just to, you know, build his confidence moving forward. Um, you know, last season, uh, Varlamov and Thomas Grace, you know, sort of won 1A, at least until it came to the postseason, as as Marty Biron said when, uh, when Varley rightfully took over. But 
in a 56-game season, uh, only playing within the division, where you you, you almost you feel like you got to get those two points every night, every single game. You're going out there with that that urgency that over an 82-game series sometimes you, you don't feel uh, during stretches. You you just don't. Being honest with you. Um, so does Sorokin's performance last night make it easier for Barry to give him more starts going forward? Yeah, there is a plan here that that Barry and the coaching staff has with Mitch Korn and Piero Greco as to when is appropriate. And I don't think it's just going to be on the back ends of uh, back-to-back games. And, and the next one uh, for that, the next back-to-back games are February 27th, February 28th against the 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 Penguins, of course, at at Nassau Coliseum. I, I think Sorokin gets another game before then. I, I do, um, but you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's suddenly going to be a goalie rotation here. Uh, Semyon Varlamov is going to continue being the 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 Islanders' number one goalie, and you know Lou Lamarillo was asked uh, during his last media access whether the team was going to consider uh, getting Ilya Sorokin to Bridgeport to maybe get a few games in just to keep him sharp, and you know uh, Lou indicated that that was not under consideration at this time, but he didn't necessarily rule it out of hand, so. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think, obviously, if Sorokin is playing, you know, uh, do I want to say better? Yeah, I want to say better. Is he acclimating more to North America? Yeah. You know, as Ilya said himself after Tuesday night's game, of course, a month later, he's feeling more comfortable. So, yeah, Ilya goes out there and shows that he's he's stopping the pucks. He's going to get more playing time, but it's not going to be probably a ton more playing time, or at least I don't expect it to be. I, I still expect Semyon Varlamov to get the, the, the lion's share of the games here. Um, and, and Melissa also chiming in via Twitter on Sorokin, how happy were you when Ilya got his first win? And, you know, look, I've gone over this. Sports writers were, were paid to be objective, uh, completely objective. Otherwise, you're really not doing your job covering the team. I, you know, I, uh, the last thing I want to be accused of is being an Islanders fanboy. I mean, that would just, you know, shrivel me up, really. Um, but there is some truth there. How happy were you when Ilya got his first win? Here's, here's why this sports writer was happy and, you know, just some journalism X's and O's with with, with uh, the earlier deadlines now uh, for every game I have to write what is called an early that's a story that's written during the day usually off the uh, that morning's access and uh, you know gets into the early edition without the benefit of you know the final score being determined yet you know I, I usually get those stories you know up and online and to the editors by you know 2 3 p.m. So I was happy because my early that day was on Ilya Sorokin and it made for a very easy transition into my uh, my first game story, the, the game story that's filed right at the buzzer of the game. That's the one before uh, all the post-game interviews. Um, it, it made a very easy transition to go from a writing an early on Ilya Sorokin to writing a running game story 
on Ilya Sorokin. And then after talking to all the players, transitioning that into a final story uh, on Ilya Sorokin. So yeah, you know, uh, Ilya, Ilya made a, made it a, an easier day for me. Um, Jeff Scott uh, asks, um, what can the Islanders do to avoid the downturn they hit in the second part of the regular season last uh, last year? Asking because they also started with a long point streak. That's true. They had a 15-0-2 streak uh, franchise record in October and November. Um, you know, a streak like they have now. Um, but as Jeff Scott points out, they failed to maintain it. I know Adam Pellick was injured, but any other thoughts? And yeah, avoiding injuries is going to be crucial, although the Islanders sort of turned it around with Anthony Beauvillier on injured reserve. Um, you know, last season, it wasn't just Pellick getting hurt, which certainly did hurt, but you know, once that 15-0-2 streak was over, they were really, you know, a 500 or, or less team. And and it was just inconsistency. They they weren't getting the balanced scoring. And their defense, even before Pellet got hurt, um, was not, you know, it was, as Marty mentioned, you know, it was as if teams had figured the Islanders out. Um so maybe the the Islanders coaching staff just has to be a little bit more creative this season in staying one step ahead of the opponents by, uh, you know, or the opposing coaching staffs by, you know, disguising what they're doing a little bit more. But, uh, you know, it really comes down to consistency and trusting in, in what they do. And, and honestly, having confidence. Uh, you heard J.G. Pajot uh, talk about that after Tuesday's game. It, it, so much of this game is confidence. The Islanders, the Islanders lost theirs last season, and uh, you know it can be a hard thing to get back. But uh, you know if they keep grinding out the points here, it's uh, they're going to keep their confidence. It's going to go a long way. Um, Andre Minasian asks. How do you think Lou will handle the trade deadline? And that's on April 12th this season. Will he look at rentals like Taylor Hall or perhaps try to trade for Philip Forsberg? Forsberg would be a great fit. And it looks like Nashville will have to tear it down. And yeah, I I did read somewhere the other day that it does look like David Poyle uh, would consider you know, being sellers at the trade deadline rather than uh, trying to push his team uh, the other direction and being buyers. Look, Forsberg, Forsberg would be a great fit on any team. Uh, and yeah, he would give you that scoring, uh, you know, you know, the boost on the scoring, uh, you know, on the wings that you're looking for. Um, unfortunately you talk about fit and Forsberg's at, you know, 6 million salary cap hit, not only for this season and next season. And, uh, that's going to be tough for the Islanders to, uh, to work with, uh, unless they, they somehow flip one of their large salaries in a different direction. So I, I, I don't necessarily think Phil, Philip Forsberg is a fit. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, financially, um, you know, <laughs> with the Predators, does does Eric Halla excite you? Does, uh, you know, Granlin excite you? Um Look, I, I, I really think a rental like Taylor Hall, uh, you know, that that would be a great move, again, for the Islanders. Again, you know, money-wise, it's not 
going to be easy because uh, Taylor Hall, even as a rental, is on a one-year, $8 million deal, if memory serves me. Um, so that's going to be a tight squeeze, too. I mean, Lou's going to handle the trade deadline, you know, certainly going in, looking to improve his team. But like many GMs in this league, he's going to be a little hamstrung, um, you know, and, and people are going to come calling, asking for, for the prospects. They're going to come asking for Wallstrom. They're going to come asking for Bellows. They're going to come asking for Dobson. They're going to come asking for Bodie Wild. They're, they're going to come asking, you know, you know, would he peddle Sebastian Ajo? I, I, I tend to think he would at this point. Um, but, you know, it, it, those are the types of names that teams are probably looking for. Uh, out of Lou. So I, I think it's going to be a very difficult trade deadline for the Islanders. I wouldn't necessarily uh, get your hopes up for, for huge reinforcements at that point. Um, George uh, Bald- Baldacino says, uh, I believe talent level is improving as the development of Dobson, Wallstrom, and Sorokin continues. Um, and then there's a... Uh, a a boat analogy, like a dry dock is water fills it in the ship floats. However, is the team built to win the cup? I have my doubts. It is not physical enough and needs the elite goal scorer to emerge, but the future is bright. Do you feel Clutterbuck, Eberly, and Bailey are the most likely spots that can be upgraded due to contract and consistency levels? If not, how would you go about adding forwards who are physical uh, and cannot score. Well, I, I don't necessarily think we, uh, maybe he meant to say can score. Um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily look to add forwards who were physical, but couldn't score. Um, bit to, uh, chew off there. Um, is this team built to win the Stanley cup? Yeah. I mean, they get to the Eastern conference finals last season. I know, Lou in the offseason had wound up trading Devontae. Johnny Boychuk uh, winds up going into, you know, de facto retirement. But I, I, I still think, you know, they both Lou and Barry believe, you know, you get good goaltending, you get on a run in the playoffs that, yeah, this team, why not this team? Uh, are they as talented as maybe what you would consider the elite in the NHL, the uh you know, what are we looking at? The uh, the Colorado Avalanche, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, are, are the Boston Bruins, you know, uh, even though the Islanders have uh, given the Bruins their only two uh, uh, regulation losses so far. Um, I, I don't know if the Islanders are, you know, they're, 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 they're probably on the 1A level uh, beneath those teams, but that doesn't mean they can't beat them in the playoffs. Um, I don't have issues with the team's physicality. You've got some grinders and you've got some top end people. Like, did you see Matt Barzell's check that, uh, led to the goal the other night? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, a, a in the offensive zone, he just, uh, I think it was Reinhardt just crunched him up along the left wall, took the puck. I mean, obviously you're not looking to, to Barzi to, to be, you know, just, you know, physical presence all the time. You're looking for the skating out of him and the playmaking, but he's got it in him. As far as clutter and ebbs and Bailey, most likely spots that can be upgraded. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're all signed. Um, you know, you just signed Matt Martin for four years. So are, you know, next season, 
one more year with Casey Sezikis, are you going to break up that 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 identity line next season? I'm not I'm not so sure. You know, Ebbs and Bailey, I would think both of them may be left exposed for the expansion draft as a way to maybe get a a contract off the ledgers. Um, but we, we'll we'll see with that. Um, how would I go about adding forwards? And this goes back to the. Uh, a previous question about Philip Forsberg. I, I, I think, you know, it's going to be difficult for Lou, but, you know, if Lou is willing to part with draft choices and, and, and good young players and, you know, maybe can move a, a, a contract here or there, I, I think he could certainly uh, get, you know, something in, but it's not going to be easy. Um, Brian G says, will Sebastian Ajo ever play? Um, yes, I will say Sebastian Ajo will play uh, just because, you know, there, there are going to be injuries at some point. Uh, Barry Trotz is not going to get through 56 games playing the same six defensemen, but uh, right now he's riding those six, as he said. Um, he, he's not inclined to make any moves. Uh, but at some point, he will need to get, you know, it could be Ajo, it could be Thomas Hickey. Um, I'd like to see what Sebastian Ajo could do. I, I you know, I, I think he's NHL ready at this point. Um, and now, uh, speaking of defensemen, and I think I'm going to get the uh, pronunciation on this one correct. I was coached. And the, again, this comes from uh, uh, Newsday Islanders text. Michael uh, Trico Rico, Tricar, Oh God, I lost it. I was, I was, I was coached up on this too. Mike T. Tricarico, Tricarico, Tricker. Yeah. Anyway, just edit all that out. Mike T. asks, um, now that the Islanders have signed Robin Sallow, uh, do you know what their plans are for him? When will we see him come over? How does he project in the NHL? Well, Mike T, whose last name I'm just fumbling over, he's, he's not the best skater, and, and the Islanders just did sign him to a, uh, as you mentioned, a contract. Um, you know, his skating can improve. He's going to be 23 when the next season starts. He's in his second season with Orbro of the Swedish Hockey League. He's got five goals, 23 assists, and 40 games. He, he's not the biggest. He's only six foot one eighty five. He's sort of like Sebastian Ajo, who's five ten one eighty four. Um, but I, I've seen other projections where you know he he could be a top four defenseman in the NHL. He does have a heavy shot. He projects to playing on a uh, maybe a second power play unit, uh, perhaps. Um, I would think now that they did sign Sallow, you know this this season is, is so wacky with with COVID. You're probably going to see Salo finish the season in the Swedish Hockey League. And at the very least, you know, you, you get him over for training camp next season. Um, and then you go from there. You probably get him some time in the AHL next season. Um, let's see. Sab says, uh, with Johnny Boychuk watching games with Lou and other management, what role do you think the Islanders will eventually give him uh, after his LTIR stunt, a stint is officially up? Um, 
Look, I think Johnny Boychuk really could do anything in the game at this point uh, in, in terms of in a non-playing role that he wants. Um, you know, could he be a scout? Absolutely. Um, would, would the Islanders start him in the player development program? I think that's a, a good option, too. And I think he would make a fantastic assistant coach. You know, you start him maybe in the AHL as an assistant coach. I think he could quickly become a, an NHL assistant coach. Maybe Maybe even starts as an NHL assistant coach. Um, you know, he's got such a great presence. He's got, he is a very intense person about hockey, even though he's got this easygoing personality and he makes everyone smile and he keeps everyone loose. Don't mistake that for him not being passionate about winning and, and hockey. I mean, he loves that more than anything. Um, I think he conveys that, and I think he can teach the game. So he's, you know, and, and him sitting there with, with, with Lou, um, it, it wouldn't, it, I wouldn't put it past Johnny to, if he wants to go into, you know, upper management either, you know, like a, a Chris Drury with the, uh, with the Rangers. Um, you know, I think Johnny Boychuk could really handle any role in hockey he wants to pursue. I think he likes being on the ice. I really do. Um, I, I would probably see him as an assistant coach at first, but uh, one way or another, I, I think Johnny is, is around the rinks for a long, 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 long time, uh, even with his playing career over. Um, Eric um, says, with a line of Bo, uh, Pajot, and Oliver last night, do you think maybe Barry uses that line combo more in the future? Uh, I'd like to see so. Dow called didn't get a ton of ice time in the third period. Um, so thinking he might be back with Nelson. Um, again, I, 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 I talked about it up top. I would love to see Bo get an extended run with Pajot and Wallstrom and see where that line goes. But I agree. It, it would not shock me if, uh, if, if Bo is back with Nelson on Thursday. Um, NV asks, has Lou flexed one of his uh, famous rules to allow more interviews with rookies this season? Thought that was a no-no in years past. Didn't imagine hearing from Sorokin or Wallstrom this year. Or is this a circumstance of the pandemic Zoom interviews? Look, uh, I, I, yeah, and I, I checked with Tom Galitti, who, uh, who covered the Devils for years and years and years. Um, you know, he was on the beat for the Bergen record. And then I got that beat when he went to NHL.com. So, you know, I checked with Tom and, uh, you know, he knows of no hard, fast Lou rule that rookies can't talk. Certainly they were available in dressing rooms. Um, maybe they were not allowed to do TV interviews. And I know, uh, when Lou went to Toronto, you know, uh, there, there were no rookies doing, you know, in-between period interviews. Um, but look, you know, Sorokin and Wallstrom talking, they didn't talk the younger players I'm talking about, uh, even Dobson. Um, they were not available in training camp until after Matt Barzell was signed, and that was... I, I believe they wanted to be shielded, you know, uh, the organization wanted to shield some of the young players from maybe stepping into it if they were asked about Mar Matt Barzell. So that was a little protective. But other than that, everyone, I think, on the, on the roster has spoken at one point or another. So, uh, you know, it, it's not a written Lou rule. 
at all. Uh, Lou, Lou is just protective of his players. Um, let's see, Rob Taub, our friend, and check out Rob Taub on Twitter. Uh, he puts up some great um, content, and he also... Uh, you know, get some uh, goal replays and, and, and other replays up pretty quickly during games. Uh, but Rob asks, Inders Lee is quietly having an excellent season. Do you think he's regained that goal-scoring mentality after he struggled a lot last year? And, and Rob, look, yeah, it's a good point. Anders Lee, uh, maybe not even quietly. I mean, he is having an excellent season. Him and Barzell certainly, uh, you know, have clicked from the start this season. Um, but the main thing, as you know, is Anders is, is scoring on the power play again. And that's something when he had 40 goals uh, a couple of seasons back, he was connecting on the power play with frequency. And uh, you're starting to see that a little bit this season. Um, he's around the net all the time. I, I don't know that he ever lost a goal scoring mentality. I, I think, you know, last season was just... Sometimes you struggle, um, you know, I, I know that's not a great explanation, but, you know, some seasons are more up and some seasons are more down. I mean, he was still going around the net a lot. It just didn't work for Anders on the power play last year, and, and you saw a dip in the numbers. Um, Dan Hausman says, uh, obviously, you don't have to go into detail since I imagine you'd have reported it otherwise, but other stories the general public doesn't know about Hosang. It seems any other player would have been quietly let go at this point. And, uh, you know, all, all the all the stuff about Hosang, all the bad stuff, you know, seems to have found its way uh, into the, the public ears and the public eyes. I mean, I'm sure they're, you know, private conversations and times when maybe, you know, he said something that really, you know, rubbed uh, the coaching staff the wrong way. I have not uh, documented every single one of those conversations or, you know, every time maybe his attitude or his body language was disappointing to, to staff. But but you know about the big ones, um, the, the, the trade request after not making the team at a training camp last year. That I know that Lou was not a big fan of that. So uh, I, I think for the most part, you know the story. Uh, let's see. Um, Adam P. asks, where does Kiefer Bellows find himself now with the way the active roster is currently playing? And, and you find uh, Kiefer finds himself, uh, you know, the same place Wallstrom was at, at the start of the season, which was on the taxi squad looking to make an impression, biding his time until he gets a chance. And, uh, you know, Kiefer had his chance at the start of the season. Now Wallstrom's had his chance. He's done nothing to be taken out of the lineup. So Kiefer has to wait his turn again. And uh, I don't know how he's practicing on the taxi squad. You know, I, I think if it's a long, long, long layoff for Kiefer, they'll probably get him down to Bridgeport and get him some games there. And uh, finally, one last one from uh, Derek Andrews here. Um, uh, Dr. Derek says the Islanders have quite a history of third jerseys. What do you think about the reverse retros? What Islanders third do you like the most, the least, any sense how the players feel? Um, and, and no, well, and Dr. Derek goes, uh, it's really interesting for the Fisherman logo to pop up on goalie helmets. Also notice players wearing Fisherman logos on their hats. Personally, he likes the Fisherman uh, he does not like the black, gray, orange thirds with Islanders written out on the front. He thought those were atrocious. And 
Look, I agree with you, and uh, I'll get to it in a second. But honestly, I have not been a fan of any of the Islanders' alternates. Uh, the blue alternates they have now with just the NY, they're probably my favorite uh, of the alternate lot. Um, I have one huge issue, huge issue with that design, though. Uh, by eliminating the rest of the logo and just keeping the NY, that erases any identification that the team is based on Long Island. So to me, in a way, that, that, that's almost a non-starter, uh, eliminating, you know, what makes them the Islanders, really. Um, my least favorite, look, I, it's a tie for me. Um, I, I can't really decide which one I like least, and I agree with you, Dr. Derek, that the black alternates from 2011 to 2014 with the island with Islanders written curved uh, over the number on the front of the jersey, uh, replacing any logo. To me, it looked like a, a rec league jersey, and that's, you know, I'm almost, I feel bad because I'm offending rec league uh, players with that, and no offense to anyone who plays in the rec league. And, you know, also, strangely, I'm, I'm all about orange. Uh, <laughs> I went to Syracuse. I, I painted both my bedroom and my office orange at one point. That certainly is proof that I have the best wife in history, that I could get a, a bedroom and, a, uh, and an office in orange. Um, look, I'm also a Mets fan. But, but those orange-based alternates with the blue wing trim with the Isles logo uh, that they wore from 2002 to 2007, they, they just didn't click with me. I, I didn't like those at all. Um, as far as the reverse retros, um, the Islanders have not broken them out yet. They've had five games at the Coliseum. The first four, they just wore their regular you know, blue home jerseys, and they wore that blue alternate for their last home game, a 4-2 win over the Bruins. Um, so no reverse retros yet, and you can tell because, I mean, you, you can barely tell, but uh, look on, on the regular home sweaters uh, on the sleeves, it's orange over white. On the reverse retros, you have white over orange with a, a slightly darker shade of the base blue and uh so that's uh that's my fashion uh my fashion take for this episode and that's it for episode 71 of island ice newsday's new york islanders podcast thanks again to marty biron for his insight thanks for your questions sorry if i didn't get to your question keep them coming and thanks for listening and if you want better access to one-on-one conversations with me please consider subscribing to Newsday Islanders Text. You can text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766. Or go to newsday.com backslash Isles Text to start your 14-day trial subscription. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Agros Newsday. And please go to our website, newsday.com backslash aisles for all Islanders content. Happy hockey, everybody.